All right. If you do not have your Bible in your hand, I would highly suggest that you get it out because it is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. Amen? Amen? And we will be reading 30 verses of God's Word aloud together this morning. So if you want to complain about one thing at this church, let it be that we read too much of God's Word and we'll just be happy with that, all right? So if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. Grab that, and if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, and we'll be reading through the entire chapter. Every eye in this room should be following along, following along with me on Scripture as we read aloud, and upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and because we are thankful to God for His word, we can respond with thanks be to God. All right, Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared that King Nebuchadnezzar, to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning and fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the, king, before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I love this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. 
Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound, burning into the firing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Verse 29. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good. You look good, which is half the battle. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, just a few quick announcements before we um, dive in uh, this Friday. So today starts Holy Week in the life of Jesus Christ with Palm Sunday. And so each day of the week this week, maybe you haven't grown up in church, not a Christian or anything like that, it starts out the most holy week because uh, leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this Friday is known as Good Friday. And the reason why it's called good is because Jesus died so we wouldn't have to. Amen? Amen. And one of the things that we're doing to um, celebrate that, and and it's really not a celebration. Um, I was speaking to one pastor this week, and he said, man, I hate Good Friday. And I was like, you hate Good Friday? Why? And he said, it's just, I feel it in my bones. It's just a dark day. And it's a day of mourning. It's a day of fasting because... We confess that we killed God on that day. And so what we're going to do on Good Friday um, in between your lunchtime from 12 to 1 is we're going to meet back there in the fellowship hall and we're going to um, walk through a prayer service together. And what we're asking you to do is to abstain from your lunch that day just as a sign of, of mourning and fasting to abstain from that meal and to increase our appetite for God. And so we're going to be praying and we're specifically going to be praying about Easter Sunday. And next Sunday, Westside, if you show up here, it will be the greatest April Fool's prank ever in the world. Um, And a couple people are like, are you guys actually going to be at the Coliseum on April 1st, right? And um, so you got one of your final invites there in your bulletin. And next Sunday, April 1st at 10 a.m., do you realize this? We have not gathered and worshipped as one church under one roof at one time over two years as a congregation. 
uh, because we're at multiple services. And so a lot of people are like, you know, oh, you know, you'll bump into somebody at Walmart. Oh, I go to West Side, Really? And then they're like, oh, you go to the 11, right? Because all the spiritual people come to the 9, right? <laughs> right, right. And so um, we've got that last invite there in your bulletin. And we're just asking that you would pray over that, that you would dish that out this week. And, and here's really, as a staff and as a board, what we're asking you as congregants, it's this. We're asking you to cash in on those relationships that you have. We are really, we're backing this thing with prayer. Um, I mean, to the level of excellence that we're planning and doing all of this. But at the end of the day, we are asking you to cash in on those relationships and invite those people to this event on Easter Sunday. And so we are extremely, extremely excited about that. So be praying for us this week, and there's a lot coming up. Well, as you heard the text that was read aloud, there is no introduction this week. There is no where's Waldo. There's no in 19-something this day. There's none of that because this Sunday I'm going for your jugular, okay, with this sermon. Um, When you heard that text read aloud, it is one of the most epic Old Testament passages of Scripture in all of the Bible, And it's one of those that we um, learned growing up sort of in junior church in Sunday school with the, you know, wafer crackers and the sugar-free Kool-Aid and all of that stuff. But it is epic when you read about these men who would not bow to this king or to this image and they stood against literally an empire and they were cast into a fiery furnace and God showed up in a very real way. And as I was studying this this week, I was trying to basically be unfamiliar with this story. Um, because it's so familiar, us growing up and learning about this. And maybe if you didn't even grow up in church, you know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. But I asked this question as we're studying this passage. And it's this, why, why was this event recorded? So so we're going through the book of Daniel, and we're looking at the life of Daniel, and we're figuring out how can we relate to Daniel. Daniel lived for God and loved God in a culture that did not love God, and quite frankly, a culture that pressured him not to worship, not to practice those beliefs, and if he did, there would be consequences for that. And that's very similar to us in 2018. The culture is now hostile to the God of the Bible, to the Bible itself, and to Jesus Christ. And so as I was studying and asking why is this recorded, we understand that it is written to the people of God. So so we say this all the time, the Bible is not written for you, but it's written to you. You understand the difference there, right? So the idea is not that you're the star of the show in anything like that, but this was written to real people in a real time and a real place. And God inspired this story, inspired Daniel to write this down to encourage the people of God who were living in a time where there was a pantheon of gods, if you will, that you could worship the God of the sun, the God of the morning dew, the God of the afternoon nap. The God, that'd be a pretty cool God, right? You know, all types of things like that, but to encourage them and remind them that they serve the one true God. And if I could boil this chapter down, I was thinking about other verses as to how this relates to us in this day and age. And the reality is, is if you are living for Jesus Christ in 2018, it will be difficult for you. 
It will be difficult. And actually, we love the promises in the Bible, right? So if you're new here, I swear that I'm going to open up like a t-shirt shop or like a coffee mug shop that posts all the unfamiliar Bible verses in the, you know, in uh, the Bible. So, you know, everybody loves, you know, the sweet and fuzzy promises. But here's one that's going on a sweatshirt, and it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 9.99, right? Right? I mean, here's the promise that the Bible makes. If you live for Jesus Christ, there will be opposition. And not just opposition, but you will be persecuted. Now, persecution is not when someone unfriends you on Facebook, right? 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 I'm taking shots for Jesus. Oh, it's so tough, right? Persecution is when your life or the life of a loved one is in danger or affected because you love Jesus. So you lose your job because your boss says you need to do this unethical thing on this form and you say, man, I cannot do that. Well, if you want to work here, you will do that. And in that moment you are faced with a fiery furnace. And what am I going to do? But the reality is, is there's something else behind this passage that I think you and I can relate to. And this is a passage of scripture that's very near and dear to me. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe, safe. But it's not the type of safety that you and I are thinking. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are safe. They just happen to be in the middle of a burning, fiery furnace, possibly burning alive. (laughs) But they're safe. So how do we do this? Daniel chapter 3 proposes this question. How can you, as a believer, a lover of Jesus Christ, stand against an empire and a culture who is pressuring you to bow down to the pantheon of gods that you can worship? Well, I think if I could summarize the passage, it would be this. Pressure from the outside always reveals what is precious on the inside. Let that moment at your job happen. Let your family member, let your mom and dad. One of the things I loved about being in student ministry is watching a student give their life to Jesus Christ. At a, at a summer camp, at an event, or something like that, and then watching that student go home to a home to a parent who does not love Jesus and watch that student live their life in a pressure that is constantly asking them to come. Well, in this household, we don't. Listen, young man, I know you went to that camp, but around here we... And watching the pressure ensue, because listen... What reveals what's precious to us is not just when things are going well, but let suffering, let cancer, let the loss of a relationship happen. And then the pressure from the outside reveals what is precious on the inside. And that's what we see in this passage. But one of the things when I was studying, I want you to look in verse 28. I was reading this passage this week, and verse 28 just literally leapt off the page to me. 
So, so, so I'm a preacher, so I have points. I like things in boxes. I like to break things down. And I love the Bible because in verse 28, King Nebuchadnezzar literally breaks the entire passage down and gives me all the points for my sermon today. Look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. Now here it is. Who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. I love the Bible. There it is right there. Like, let's break this thing down like Legos, man, right? How can we summarize this? Literally, we see every aspect in that verse. But we have to understand what's going on in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mind, right? Or as I like to call them, do you remember their names, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Jewish names, right? And so, so, so these guys are, are Jewish. They, they love God. And, and they understand that God has given them a way of life, how to live, Right? We know it today as God's top 10, not Sports Center, but the other top 10, right? God told the people of Israel, now that I've saved you, I want you to live this way. And it's called the Ten Commandments. But one of the things we learn here at Westside, it's very important to understand when they got the Ten Commandments. Because listen, look up here. Some of you think Christianity is this obey, obey, don't do this, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, don't do any of this. And then God loves you. So you've been trying, 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 trying. And you're always failing. And you think, where's this joy thing? Where's any of this? But look at what God says here in Exodus. And God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Here it is. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Listen, God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments after he saved them. It was not a requirement to be saved. You understand this is the fundamental aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you do not kick the addiction and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and Jesus kicks the addiction. Like, I'm fired up, man. I mean, it's 9 a.m. I hope you've had coffee today, okay? But it's not like, oh, let me get my marriage in order and then I will come to Jesus and become a Christian. It's that you come to Jesus going, my marriage is in shambles and so is my entire life. And Jesus says, perfect. That's when I work in your life. It's an entirely different order. And so when God does that, he lays this out as the very first thing. So, I've got you out of slavery, so here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. And by the way, how practical and logical is that? That's not like a big ask, is it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, the rivers turning to blood, you know, the whole thing of saving you out of the most powerful empire in the entire world. It's probably not too hard to ask you after that, would you love me, right? That's what God is asking. And so he says, no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We got a problem, bro. You know what I mean? 
They know God's top 10. They know what God has done for them, and now they are faced with a decision. The pressure is on. Under pressure, right? How many of you heard that when I said the big idea earlier? I know, I totally get it, right? ADD, it's a spiritual gift, you know? The pressure is on. So now the pressure is going to reveal what's precious. So here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn how to deal with this pressure. We're going to learn to expect it. We're going to learn to engage it. And then we're going to learn to entrust it. So here we go. The first thing, expect it. Expect the pressure. Look in verse 4. Did you notice the repetition when Pastor Tyler was reading the passage? You're like, we get it, liars and bagpipes. Okay, right? But verse 4 is the command. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, you are to fall down. Now, what is this? Let's make this in modern day 2018 terms. King Nebuchadnezzar is a dictator. And what's he doing? It's propaganda. It's a big party. It's a parade. It's the anthem. Bring out the knickknacks, the parade, the whole thing. Let's make this happen. So now this is the empire. This is propaganda. And now this is the law of the land. This is a law given. You are to bow down to this. And in verse 14, we have got the tattletales, right? Verse 9, these guys come, the Chaldeans. They say, these guys are not going to do this. But look in verse 14. This is very interesting. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at his wording. Have your eyes on scripture. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image? Now think about it. Interesting. So this image, right, it's like 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. We don't know what the image is. But what we know is this. That King Nebuchadnezzar and people in Babylon were polytheists, which means a pantheon, a multitude of gods. And look at what King Nebuchadnezzar says to do. Is it true that you don't worship my gods? Plural. Now, walk with me on a journey. Here's where the pressure is coming. King Nebuchadnezzar does not say, you cannot worship the God of Israel. That's not where the pressure comes. The pressure comes when he says, you can worship the God of Israel and blank. Do you see the difference? So what's the application to your life? It's this, the pressure will always be to worship Jesus and fill in the blank. Money, relationships, people. You see, that's the great temptation. The great temptation, like like we think that persecution is going to come or temptation is going to come when we hear worship other gods, that it's going to be like a devil and a pitchfork and like, you can't worship Jesus. Say that you hate Jesus right now. Say it out loud. Ah, I'm being persecuted. Ah, right? No. The temptation is, sure, go to church. Serve, be in community group. Do all of that. But deep down inside, Try to balance Jesus and money. Deep down inside, try to balance Jesus and the approval of people. 
That's where the pressure comes from. And one of the things that you have to understand is you've got to expect this. This is happening. It's not if, it's when this will happen in your life. And you've got to be ready for this. If you're not prepared, then you've already lost. But here's really what you're going to face if if we're going to get even more practical. The temptation from the world today looks something like this image. You've probably seen these bumper stickers and things like that, right? Ooh, can you feel the tension in the room now? Don't you love it? Don't you love it? So here's modern day thought, right? Modern day thought is, Jesus is sure, that's great, but don't you dare say Jesus is the only way. You cannot say that. And in order for all of us to remain unique little snowflakes sprinkled in glitter, no one can say that Jesus is the only truth and the only way. You can't do that. We all have to have an equal playing field. Now, follow me on that illogical thought. Because the people who demand tolerance are often the most intolerant. And here's why. King Nebuchadnezzar is doing what he is saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cannot do. Do you see that in the passage? When someone says, you can love Jesus but you cannot impose or try to convert other people with those beliefs, they believe the statement that they just said and are imposing those beliefs on other people. So that is illogical at its core. And let me tell you this, that is not harmony. That crumbles at its core. So you've got to expect that this is going to happen in your life. And you have to know that it's illogical. But the second thing that we have to deal with with the pressure is this. We have to engage it. You cannot be passive. Because if there's anything that we see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that these guys are not passive. I mean, verses 16, 17, and 18 are worth their weight in gold, man. They are worth their weight in gold. They're standing before the most powerful empire in the world, and look what they say. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known from you. Are you ready for the mic drop? Here's the mic drop moment right here. O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, that is the most gangster thing I've ever seen in the whole Bible, bro. I mean, they stand and they preach gospel to this king. Like in the original, it literally says, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to talk to you. But we're just going to entertain you with this. Number one, our God is able. That was a good spot for an amen. I'm going to say that again. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, and even if we go into that furnace, our knees will not bow. Do you know what this is? Let's bring this into modern day 2018. They are disobeying the law. You feel the tension already right now in the room, right? This is what's called civil disobedience. And look at me, Westside, there will be a time 
where you have to disobey a king in order to stay obedient to the king. You understand this, right? That when you got baptized and you were immersed in that water and you came out of that water, you declared your life and your allegiance to solely the person of Jesus Christ and to solely the kingdom of God, not to five other things, only to Jesus, that I stand here a condemned criminal. And when I went underneath that water, it was the representation of Jesus being buried for my sins. And when I came out of that water, it was in the semblance of him being resurrected. And I stand here in newness of life. I don't know in this entire Daniel series, if we've gotten to any chapter that is as most practical as chapter three that these men are literally standing up against the law. Civil disobedience. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in November 1967 preached a sermon on this passage to his church at Ebenezer Baptist as they were getting ready to face marching. He said these words, Civil disobedience is based on a commitment to conscience. In other words... One who practices civil disobedience is obedient to what he considers a higher call. And there comes a time when moral men cannot obey a law in which his conscience tells him is unjust. And I tell you this morning, Ebenezer Baptist. See, if you guys were really a good church, you would go, "Mm mm-hmm, in the background. All right, so I'm going to do that one more time because he brings the thunder. And I tell you this morning, my friends... That history has moved on and great moments have often come forth because there are those individuals, those small yet powerful in every age and in every generation who are willing to stand before the empire and say, I will be obedient to a higher law. Why do you think that the church of Jesus Christ is prevalent today? That it still exists Because it has a history of standing against the empire. So now I have to go where angels fear to tread. Because in 2018, just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's lawful to God's law. And so when it comes to things like homosexual marriage, we stand on God's law. Now listen, I'm going to get into some practicalities in just a moment. That doesn't, as soon as I say that, you've already believed the lie of the culture. And the culture says, well, you can't be loving and believe that statement at the same time. And that's simply not true. That's simply not true. When it comes to murdering our own babies, there are times where we stand for the king And disobey a king. So what I have to do for you is I have to give you some practicality, some principles for pushing back. Some principles for standing. And listen, I know many of you will leave this place today not agreeing with what I've said, angry with me. But please understand, this is not, I'm not making this up. This is not my own. We've stood on the history of the church of Jesus Christ for thousands of years. And they have believed these principles. So what are the principles that we can do for pushing back? The first thing, listen, is this. Be educated. And when I mean be educated, I mean don't get your education off of Facebook or Fox News or CNN. Okay, so I'm going to blast everybody in the room today, okay? 
be educated on the issues, all right? So don't like, oftentimes, you know, I'll go to my grandmother's and she'll, you know, I just can't believe you're a pastor. It's difficult in these times, you know. I mean, because clearly the book of Revelation teaches that our president or former president's the Antichrist. I mean, it just says it right there, you know. And I'm like, oh, yeah. She's like, well, I got something on the Facebook machine. It sent me a message and said the thing. You know, and Abraham Lincoln said, if it's on the Internet, it's true. You know what I mean? Quoted him right there, you know. Here, here, here's a profound thought. Get a library card. Go check out a book and read it. Listen, if I hear you speak slander and ill against another religion, such as Islam or something like that, and you have done no study or research, my response is, please be quiet. I cannot engage in ignorance. Be educated. We believe that Jesus Christ is the source of all knowledge. So let us study. So when it comes to laws and when it comes to things like that, how about we study? How about we be quiet and we research and we prayerfully consider the options that are on the table, okay? So principles for pushing back. The first one is this, be educated. The second one is this, be calm, calm. Do you see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing? How violent are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the passage? This will offend a ton of you in the room. Anybody? How many times they bring up the Second Amendment? Oh, was I not supposed to say that in church? Was I not? I'm telling you, we're in it today, bro. I mean, if you don't come back, there's a lot of churches in proper blood. We love you, but I am bound My conscience is bound to the word of God. And when I see these men, I see what's so powerful is that they let their accusers bind their arms. And they stand and they say, our God is able. But if he does not, my knee is not bowed. And then the last thing is this, be loving. Be loving. There is no slander, there is no hate, there is none of that. And that's the pressure, that's the pressure of what the world is telling you. And when you get in a dispute, and when you get in an argument about this, or about that, and about this concept, and about that, listen, I, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So when you are pressured in that moment, the pressure from the outside reveals what's precious on the inside. And what I see is I see a love that is resistant. And they can live together. Pastor Tim Keller says these words. Here's what you were seeing in this passage. 95% of the time, the best way to defend absolute truth, if that truth is Jesus, is to live it. In other words, these men are showing the opposite of what King Nebuchadnezzar is showing them. He is angry, foaming at the mouth. He is against them. He is pressuring them. He is demanding something from them. And they are calm. They are respectful. And let us note, they even had to be turned in. And yet they are the ones who are literally overturning an empire. You see, when you live a life of sacrifice and a life of love... That is what makes an impact. Isn't that profound? So when the pressure comes, expect it. It's coming. It's coming. Be ready. The second thing is we engage it. And we engage it carefully and prayerfully and considerately. 
But the last thing is this, is we have to entrust that pressure. One of the things that gets me very disheartened when you hear this story taught in Sunday school, it's almost as if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, they don't need Jesus. Like, dun-dun-dun, get the cape. See, they stood up. They went into the furnace, right? Let us be clear. There is one hero in the Bible, Christ. And every other character in the Bible needs Christ. They needed a fourth man in the furnace, so we're going to get to that in just a moment. So how do we entrust this? What are we trusting when the pressure's on, there's hostility, and we're standing for Christ in a culture that hates him? The first thing is this. We trust God's power. Listen, I'm I'm totally okay with being labeled like a fundamentalist or anything like that. My goal in life is to put the fun back in fundamentalism, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just believe that Jesus walked on water. I'm sorry, I just do. I believe that Jesus spoke, and as Charles Spurgeon said, he had to say Lazarus' name specifically, because if he did not, then every dead person would have arose. That's thunder, bro. He said, Lazarus, come forth. I believe that happened. And I believe that when the Bible, like if this is a myth, okay, if this is not true and if this is a fairy tale, why go into such detail that they didn't even smell like smoke? Why? Why make that up? It, it does not help your narrative at all. But you know why I believe it's in there? Because there was one dude, when they walked out of the first, went up to him and was like, bro, they don't even smell like smoke, bro. <laughs> That's why. And they trusted in God's power. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able. He is able to deliver us. I believe our God is able to heal marriages. I believe our God is able to physically heal people. I believe our God is able to snatch souls from hell. I believe God is able to do that, man. But they didn't just trust his power. Because listen, I can get y'all fired up on he is able. He is able. He will deliver us. He will do all of that. That's not what makes it so profound in the passage to me. It's not he is able. It's the words, but if not. Oh, see, they didn't just trust God's power. They trusted in God's plan. (laughs) Because look, King Nebuchadnezzar says, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way, this way. He did it a specific way. And there is millions of people who are in church this Sunday morning who will wave their handkerchief, stomp their feet, and love that God is able. God is able, but there are very few people who will stand up and say, but if not. You see, there's not, there's not so much faith in he is able, but there's more faith in but if not. Because pressure from the outside reveals what's precious on the inside. And he is able can live on the outside. But if not, has to be in the deep recesses of your heart. This is a picture of a gentleman by the name of Brian Sternberg. Many of you may know Brian. Brian was a uh, world-renowned track star, specifically in pole vaulting. He had broken a lot of records and was on his way to the Olympic Games. 
And one day when he was practicing and jumping on the pole vault, he would jump over and then land in the trampoline and just do it a thousand times over and over to stick how his body would go over the pole vaulting. And when he jumped and landed onto the trampoline, he heard a pop in his neck and could not feel his legs or his arms. And in that moment, he was paralyzed. Furnace, furnace, pressure. He loves Jesus. And he wrote an interview for a magazine, and he said these words. Having faith is a necessary step toward one of two things. Listen to this. One of two things. Being healed is one of them. Our God is able to rescue us. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind, if the healing doesn't come, is the other. And either one of those will suffice for me. Either one of those will suffice for me. You see, it is not just he is able. It's but if not. They trusted in his plan. And listen, God had to rescue a specific way. And one of the things is, the last thing, that we have to trust in God's presence. That's what makes all the difference. It's yes, we trust in God's power. We see that he does it time and time and time again. But we have to trust in the way that he rescues. Do you know how many times the disciples tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross? That was the way God was saving. Palm Sunday declares that. Hosanna in the highest. They thought that they were going to establish political power. Jesus was going to die. And many of us in our life believe that God is able, but you're trying to forfeit the furnace that God has in front of you through the family conflict, through the health situation, through the finances, through all of that. And you're saying, God, you're able, but I want to go around this. And God's saying, no, 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 no. My plan is for you to go through this, but not just alone. I'll be with you in it. You know what makes this story so profound against the Babylonian gods? Oh, man, this is good. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God was in the fire with them. He didn't just snatch them out of the furnace. He walked through the furnace with them. And this is what you've got to understand. God has never promised to protect you from a trial. He has always promised to be present with you in the trial. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's why we stand on those verses. That's why when God declares to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The famous psalm that that David ever penned, Psalm 23. For the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death thou art with me with me in the valley of the shadow of death first corinthians 5 24 he who called you is faithful and he will surely do it and jesus has promised that he gives the disciples in matthew chapter 28 verse 20 lo i love the king james lo i am with you always even to the end of the age listen stop looking for a way out 
of the fiery furnace and away around the fiery furnace and start looking for God in the furnace because he's there with you. And what scholars and theologians believe this to be is a pre-incarnate Christ. That it says that Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28, he sent his angel. We, we only have that certain times. Anytime an angel is there, he's given a name, Gabriel or Michael. They're named. But in the Old Testament, when it says his angel, scholars believe and understand that to be the person of Jesus Christ. But they held on to a promise. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. I wonder if they were saying that to each other when they were in the furnace. Westside, the pressure from the outside reveals what's precious on the inside. And these guys had the pressure. But it revealed what was precious to them. But now we have to relate this to Jesus. Because you and I, we're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've bowed. We've bowed to the idols. To sex, to drugs, to the money, to the to our own goodness, to our own obedience. See, God, I did this, so love me. You bowed to your own works. So what do we need? We need somebody who can take on all of our failures and yet not bow to face the greatest furnace ever, the greatest amount of pressure, anything that the world has ever seen, and take on all of that for us, but give us the credit for what? He did. And in Matthew's gospel, we see these words bow down and we see these things about angels. And Jesus was tempted. And again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You see, Jesus faced the greatest furnace that anyone could ever experience. And he took on all of our faults and all of our failures so that we could see the love, the grace, and the mercy in Jesus Christ. And he could be the most precious thing to us. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I have a few questions I want to ask you before you come and partake here at the table. These precious, precious elements. The first thing is this. Do you value comfort over obedience? Because you can't obey and be comfortable at the same time. You can't have it. That's why your level and your walk of Jesus Christ every year, every month, every now and again, it It reaches this glass ceiling and nothing else really happens or profound because the reality is, is you are trying to hold on to comfort and obedience at the same time. Listen, how comfortable was the furnace? You see, I believe that our great God in Western American culture is comfort. We are so comfortable in this room today. And as Bonhoeffer says, the invitation that Jesus gives is he gives men an invitation to come and die. 
And when we realize that that's the most precious thing, that we'll forsake everything else. But the second thing is this. Where is God calling you to make a stand now? Now. Where, what pressure? Where, where do you need to make a stand in your life as a family with teenagers and, and young adults in your household? Where is God calling you to take a stand in your marriage, in your family, in your job? Where is God calling you to not bow the knee to the world? Oh, to be educated, to be calm, to be loving, but still resistant at the same time. And then the last thing is this. What is most precious to you? Because there is your golden image. And oftentimes we don't struggle with bad things. We struggle with good things that we make God things. Like our kids. Like our family. Like our schedule. Like our planner. All of these things are precious to us. And when the pressure's on, it reveals what's most precious. But when you come to these tables, you will see a king who did not bow on your behalf. So you could stand while he was tossed into the furnace. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're praying that you would do something in our midst. God, I pray that you would comfort those who need comforting, those who are in the fight at home with a prodigal child, with anything. God, they are are not bowing and the pressure is on. May you reveal yourself to be so beautiful and to be so holy and to be so precious to them today, God. God, I pray that you comfort those that need comforting. But God, I pray that you convict those who need convicting. How many of us have tried to go around this thing rather than walk through it and look for you inside of it? Because there, in that moment, we find you to be the most precious. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in this place. And may we leave here looking more like Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand? come and partake in communion as you feel led today.